These are the words of Paul, written over the course of two letters. You can have a seat. Over the course of two letters to help prime our hearts and minds on the message for today. Starting in 1 Timothy, Paul writes this, starting in verse 18. He says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Here we go. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many Witnesses, And here's the end here from 2 Timothy. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize, the prize is not just for me but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for this morning. Jesus, we are so grateful for all that you have done. We're so grateful to gather in your name and and, and confess together you crucified and rose again on our behalf so we might never need to live alone again. Jesus, we celebrate you. For your glory and your fame. This has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with you. And so God, open our eyes to your presence today. Soften our hearts to the reality of your goodness. God, we want to leave here changed. We want to leave here different. And so it's for you that we pray. It's in your name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Welcome back, everybody. What a way to start the service, huh? Wow, welcome home. So glad you're here. If you don't know me, my name is David. I'm your lead pastor here at Community Life. So fired up to be sharing from the Bible today as we return, finally return to the book of Philippians. We, we left off on Palm Sunday, and now we're finally picking it back up. Um, how neat is it that we were able to kind of step into this sacred rhythm of worship and prayer and confession and evangelism and baptism and communion all within 30 minutes. This is something that the church has been doing for more than 2,000 years. This sacred rhythm, this sacred liturgy. And we were able to do that together today. It's so special to be able to gather in God's house together. Ah, man. And can we just thank the worship team for leading us? Every week, I'm just so blessed. So blessed. Congratulations to everyone that was baptized today. This is one of those moments. This is one of those moments. And I, and I like to say that baptism is what you confess, but it's also on the, on the, we have a responsibility in the body for those who just confessed to encourage them, to build them up, but also to hold them to their confession, to remind them again and again, because this life is hard. Faith is hard. And so what we just saw over here, this is drawing a line in the sand, and they're saying, remind me. Hold me to this confession. So, so excited for you, so proud. Anytime someone has the courage to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Well, all right, let's get to it. If you have your Bibles with you, follow me quickly to Philippians chapter 2. 
And we're going to be starting in verse 19 today. We'll be reading through verse 30, the end of chapter 2. And we don't have a ton of time to recap, um, but if you're just joining us, the letter is from uh, the Apostle Paul, and, and it was basically this encouragement that he wrote to it. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I don't think it's mine. Is it one of the other wirelesses? Can you mute them? It's this one. Well, how about that? Can I take a different one? I'll take a different one. I'll take my beautiful wife's mic. How does that sound? And we'll see if this one works better. All right. So, we kill the effects on it too? Unless we want it to be a cavern church. All right. Thank you, John. This is John's first serve on sound today. Oh, and I, I'm good with this. This is okay. Thank you, John, for dealing with it. This is perfect. And uh, do you need me to count? Are we good? Should I just keep going? I'll just keep going. All right, so we don't have a ton of time to recap, especially now. And so basically, this letter was an encouragement that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Philippi somewhere around 65 A.D. Philippi was a city-slash-Roman colony that was established and set up specifically to house former military and government officials after they retire. Fascinating, right? Um, it's also, fun fact, the first city to house the first church outside of the Middle East and into Europe. Amazing. And its origin story, the Philippian church, comes in Acts chapter 16 in one of my absolute favorite stories, the story of the Macedonian call. If you get a chance, you should read that at some point this week. And I still feel like I should just not use a microphone. Or are we good? We good? I'll use a different one again. This is small church. This is what we do. This is what we do. I'm not sure what's... This is a manual. Okay. You can hand it to Becca. Thank you. All right. This is... Uh... This is from the baptism mic, yeah? Yes. Is it good? Is it good? Yeah. Praise the Lord. And so Paul's writing this letter in Acts chapter, uh, for, in response to what happened in Acts chapter 16. If you get a chance, read it. It's one of the most incredible stories in the scriptures. Um, but again, this letter, it's written to them uh, that they might, uh, as an encouragement that they might work hard to keep the faith that they would stay true to their confessions, just like we just saw in baptism, um, which might seem a bit foreign compared to some of other Paul, Paul's other letters. If you're familiar with the Apostle Paul, a lot of what he writes in the New Testament is very corrective in tone. But here in Philippians, Paul's like, hey guys, I love you. You're doing a really decent job. Just keep it up. Keep it up. Stay true to your confession. Stay focused and remember, always remember, always remember who you are because of Jesus. And this is where we left off back in March, right before Easter, when we talked about a tree and its fruit. That was the last message. And how, as God's people, we now abide in his vine. We abide on, on his vine, and so everything we are and everything we become, the fruit of our lives, must come from his roots, from his source and his supply. And this brings us up to our passage for today, chapter 2, verse 19. And if you're taking notes Building on all that came before on this beautiful service today. I'd like to call this message, The Good Fight. The Good Fight, starting in verse 19. Paul says this, and it's quite a bit of scripture, but stick with me. It says, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Timothy, who Paul considers a son. Timothy, 
who was in Acts chapter 16 as they made their way to start this church in Philippi. And Timothy, who Paul addressed at the opening scriptures just a moment ago, when Paul encouraged him to keep fighting and fight the good fight. It's to this Timothy that Paul says, if the Lord, is, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send him back to you for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. And someone tell me, why would Paul at this point need some cheering up? Anyone know? Because he's in prison, okay? And so he, he has no idea what's happening. And so he wants to send Timothy back to Philippi, one of the few churches that, that really is doing it right. And he's saying, I want to send him to you so, you so he can bring word back to me and encourage me. Verse 20, he says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you uh, just as, uh, sorry, I, I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here in prison. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. So that's the first half of our passage for today. Recap. Paul thinks Timothy is awesome, right? Timothy's amazing. He says there's, there's Timothy who's, who's, who's awesome, and then there's all the others. There's Timothy, and there's all the others. There's Timothy, and then there's everybody else. It reminds me of when my wife and I, we first came out to Southern California to visit when we were checking out this, this church community. And, and when we came out, we knew that we were finally able to experience in and out <laughs> Growing up in the Midwest, we, we've heard about the legend of In-N-Out. And don't get me wrong, we had a place called Culver's. Has anyone heard of Culver's? Culver's is real good, okay? But, but, but the exclusivity and the, the, the mystique surrounding the West Coast burger joint with Bible verses on the bottom of the cups, it brought the anticipation to a whole other level. And so we get off the plane at LAX because we didn't know any better, right? We didn't know about the greatness of Burbank either. So we get off at LAX. And, uh, and we immediately, we bring out Google Maps, and we find the closest in and out And let me just tell you, it was incredible. The, the experience, the food, the culture, the aesthetic, the friendly faces, the double-double with cheese animal style, you know what I'm saying? There's nothing quite like it. There, there are all the others. And, and then there is in and out and so we end up moving here, right? And the last house we look at, where's Robert Thomas? You're in the house, right? Hi, Robert. Everyone say, hi, Robert. So we're here. Robert, he's showing us around, helping us find a house. And we finally check out this house just up Lowell off Foothill. And wouldn't you know, right in the backyard, what do we have? In and out. It's right in the backyard. It's incredible. Okay, but after we moved in, we realized quickly, really quickly, that just as we acknowledged the greatness of the double-double, so does all of La Crescenta, and all of Tahunga, and all of Sunland. Pretty much everyone in a two-mile radius, uh, like, acknowledges the greatness of what's happening in my backyard. And so there are times, there are times, where even though we really want a burger, babe, we're craving the burger. We look out our front, we look out our front window, and there's a line wrapped around outside in front of our house, waiting to get down there. Why? Because because there's in and out and there's all the others. 
And so we need to find a backup, right? We go and hit up Everest, which is also amazing, and you know this. And that's what we see in a very roundabout way. Thanks for entertaining me. That's what we see here in verse 25. Because Paul, he wasn't sure if Timothy would be able to make it to Philippi right away. And so as a close second, as a backup, who's also awesome, the Everest to Timothy's in and out. Paul says, verse 25, Meanwhile, just in case, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. Just in case Timothy can't make it, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me that I would not have one sorrow after another. And this is kind of the end of the passage. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know that you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he fought the good fight. He risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Okay. End of chapter two. We finally made it. What did we just read? And who's hungry? Everybody, I know. Paul says, I really wanted to send you Timothy. Timothy's the best. You know him. He was with you. Acts chapter 16. He helped plant this church. You know him. He loves you. You love him. There is connection. But there's a chance that Timothy can't make it. So I'm going to send you Epaphroditus just in case, who is also incredible. And that is the end of chapter 2. That's all we got. And, and I, don't, I don't know um, about you, but it's, but it's a pretty interesting passage and quite the shift from a lot of Paul's other writings, especially that we've seen in this letter, because there's not a lot of instruction in it. There's not, and maybe it's just 21st century America, we like to have like this instant application, right? So what are we getting out of this? You know, we're here at church, we read the Bible, we want to be different, and so, like, what, what do we do? It's, it's great to hear Paul's admiration for these friends, right? It's great to hear Paul's respect, but now as we read this inspired scripture 2,000 years later, what, what can we pull from it to in, encourage us in our own faith and our own obedience? Well, that's the question, and as I was praying and I was kind of processing this message, this passage over the past week, I, I kept coming back to this moment, and it connects back to our, our um, opening scriptures as well, but I kept coming back to this moment. I was probably 11 years old, maybe 12, in sixth grade, Webster Stanley Elementary. So good, so good. Um, when I was walking home from school, because that's what you do, right? That's what, who, who walked home from school when they were a kid? There we go. I walked home from school, and it was kind of, you know, it's a small town, so we were kind of cutting through yards, and, and it, was, it was great. And, and as I was walking home, I saw a fight. I saw a fight. And there must have been 40 kids in this, like, so we were cutting through this old apartment complex, and there was, like, a big quad in front. And 40 kids just huddled around these two upperclassmen, just about to go at it, right, for the glory of this teenage girl's affection. And it was wild because I've never seen anything like it. I don't know how many people have like seen that come across a fight, but it's it's like pretty wild to see. I was nervous, I was I was kind of excited, and eventually I kind of became part of the crowd, 
believing that I had a hand in like who might eventually win, right? I was kind of like looking on, seeing these people, and it was fun for the moment um, because it wasn't that serious. It wasn't that serious for me because I didn't really do anything. I was just watching. And we were all kind of observing someone else's fight, like kind of voyeuristically through someone else's struggle. We were looking in and consuming this stress and this tension and this hard work, this pain from a safe distance, and it was fun, and we were young, and we were dumb, and it eventually, you know, got broken up, and we all made our way, our way home. But fast forward just a little bit from that, from that moment. I'll never forget that moment, because as I got older, I realized that this observational mindset, this observational mindset, though seemingly innocent at the time, it didn't just stop when we all went home. No, it, it began to creep into just about every area of life, and it can start to take over, this tendency to build our identity and what we do to, to exist vicariously through observation and association, to identify with the fight that someone else already fought. It's in us. It is, and, and honestly, for many of us, it's become our default. We do it in our jobs. We do it in relationships with our kids. We watch American Idol, and we watch that. You know, we, we watch the Lakers. We watch the Dodgers. We watch someone else's fight as we look in, and we claim a victory. Which is where this, I think, comes full circle, because I, I, where I think God is connecting the dots in this passage, beyond just this encouragement to these two gentlemen, is that... Even though we don't want to, and even though I don't even think it's intentional most of the time, we can also often start to treat faith and our relationship God with the same expectation, this spectator looking in as someone else does the fighting. Like, like all the others, as Paul was saying in verse 21, as all the others as we wait around for a Timothy to come and fight the good fight so we don't have to. Or an Epaphroditus to come and do the heavy lifting and make our faith count. And, and I don't know if it's because uh, we don't feel qualified. I don't know if it's because uh, something that happened in our past or if something we, you know, we've been told we aren't ready because of any number of mistakes or, or decisions. I don't know. Maybe it's a 21st century American thing. I have no idea. Maybe we're lazy Whatever it is, but it's real. I've seen it and I've lived it. A life of faith by proxy. Where you convince yourself that your relationship with God is somehow strong by observing someone else's training. And, and it makes sense, you know. It makes sense that we would do this because it's way easier to look in and kind of attach yourself to someone else's faith instead of investing in your own. It's easier to claim the work of others than doing the work yourself. It's easier to throw on a podcast and to show up and listen to a pastor tell you what's true for 30 minutes instead of opening your own Bibles. And I get it. I get it because I've been there. It's efficient and it's simple and it's the path of least resistance, but I, I just need you to understand that this is that, that, that God wants so much more for you than being a part of the crowd looking in as someone else is fighting the good fight. God didn't save you 
and adopt you and redeem you and give purpose to your passion so you can sit on the sidelines like all the others and watch the good fight. No, living vicariously through someone else's story. Now, just like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, God has spoken a future with courage and promise over your life. Just like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the same power that poured oceans and formed mountains now lives within you. Just like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, God has guaranteed your eternity through the saving work of Christ on the cross. And just like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, now God is calling you and me and us. God is calling us to get up and to fight the good fight for the true faith, holding tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. God doesn't want you to live like all the others. No, he wants you to be like no other, holy, set apart, a people for his own possession, alive to show the world what he is really like. Friends, in a world of Big Macs, he wants you to be a double-double with cheese animal style. <laughs> he doesn't want you to just observe life and faith from a safe distance. Amen. He wants you to get in the game, to fight the good fight for the true faith. But, okay, as I, was, as I was working through this, I got to thinking, how does this actually play out, right? How do you go from being in the crowd to actually getting in the game? Because let's, let's be real, like, m most of us are pretty decent at fighting. We're just not good at fighting the good fight. Most of us are pretty good at identifying tensions and getting into struggles that, that probably aren't the best. But, but how exactly do we fight the good fight, and what does that look like? Well, I think what we see Paul saying in our opening scriptures from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he, he said this, and I think it really helps set the stage. He says, here are my instructions for you to help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Here are my instructions from verse 18. He says, cling to Christ... Run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. And, these, and this is it. This is really it. Three quick things that set Timothy and Epaphroditus uh, apart from all of the others. Three things. If you want to fight the good fight, you need to first remember who you're fighting for. You need to remember who you're fighting for. And this is really significant and a shift for all of us that we all need to make because in this reality, we are not fighting for us. We are not fighting for even one another. We are fighting on behalf of Jesus. Paul says we must cling to Christ in all things, and run from all the evil things. We need to see that our lives and the battles that we face must be fought on God's behalf. We have to remember who we fight for, that we are fighting for Christ. Which brings us to number two. If you want to fight the good fight, you have to know how to fight. One of the things I remember from walking home that day, you know, you got all these people walking around, these, like, upperclassmen, and people that don't know how to fight, they don't know how to fight. Like, have you ever, if you've ever seen a fight, it kind of usually looks like this. They just kind of, like, 
kind of go like this for a while, you know, and then they like, they kind of take a step back, right? And then they kind of like, they kind of swat at each other. For all the live stream audience, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but seriously, people, if you don't know how to fight, you don't know how to fight. And you end up just flailing around. So if you, if you want to fight the good fight, you have to know how to fight. You need to know how to fight, which I know seems fairly basic, but again, we have to remember that we're not fighting for us. We're fighting for Jesus, which means that we have to fight like Jesus. We have to do what Jesus did, which is why Paul says the good fight is fought with righteousness. The good fight is fought with love. It's fought with perseverance and gentleness. And just think about that for a minute. How backwards is that? Fighting with love? Fighting with gentleness? That doesn't sound right. Still, for the church, this is the expectation. We are to fight on God's behalf like God would through the peacemaking ways of Jesus. And I know, again, that this is really hard because if you're anything like me, I like to win. I like to feel like if someone's wronged me that they get what they deserve. I like to feel strong, and so there are times that I do things, and I behave in ways that are absolutely outside of the way of Jesus. Anybody else? I can be so quick to judge. I can be so quick to assume the worst. I can be so quick to point fingers. I can be so quick to gossip and tear others down. I don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. And, and in it, I, I might win a battle. When I, when I behave this way, sometimes I might win, I might be right, but I get there by fighting the wrong way. And that's because, at least for me, I, I so quickly forget what it means to win. And this is number three. This is real quick. You need to remember who you're fighting for, you need to know how to fight, and you need to recognize what it means to win. If you're taking notes, write this down. In, in the good fight, on God's behalf, victory is always peace. Amen, Amen outside too. <laughs> in the good fight, working on God's behalf, victory is always peace. Winning is always the eternal life to which God is calling us. Winning isn't dominance. Winning isn't conquest. Winning isn't forcing or guilting others into changing their behaviors. That's not the good fight. No, winning is grace. Amen. Winning is mercy. It is repentance and obedience. As we love the world, it, as we love the world into seeing the better way of Jesus. It's not being right. It's doing what's right, like Jesus would. That's because the good fight isn't being waged against flesh and blood, but rather against powers of darkness and deception, of injustice and pain. Amen. The good fight is fought to bring good news to those in need, to bring sight to the blind and hope to the hopeless, freedom to the captives. This is the way. It was the way of Paul. It was the way of Timothy and Epaphroditus as they followed Jesus. And so it must be true. It must be true of us. But you can't get there sitting in the stands. You can't get there being a part of the crowd, huddled around, watching two people fight. No. 
you got to get in the game. So Paul says, cling to Christ. Fight with love. And work for peace wherever God has you until he brings you somewhere else. And listen, I, I don't know, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe none of this applies to you. Um, you know, maybe you're on the other side already. Maybe you're already fighting the good fight, and you have been for like the past 60 years, and you're wondering why you're always at it alone. If that's you, keep it up. We need you. Show us what to do. But if you're anything like me, man, it can be so easy to slip back into that observation mode. It can be so easy to start to fight for things that don't matter, right? Transporting myself back to the schoolyard of faith. Watching someone else step up to fight for what matters most. And so here's what I need you to remember today. Two things. I need you to remember and consider, regardless of where you find yourself. If this is your third time at church, or if, or if you've been here since the building was built, I know that there's a pretty wide cross-section here. Which is why it's so beautiful here. But regardless of where you find yourself, I need you to remember that the God of the universe, the God that is Jesus, fought to the death for you. So you might fight the good fight for others. God shined the light of a thousand suns. into the darkest parts of your soul so you might live with open eyes to his presence and then choose to shine your light into the darkest parts of others. This was always the plan. God did not save you to sit around. He found you to fight the good fight. And whether you do anything in response to this reality or not, at least now you know God saved you, and God brought you into this family to fight on his behalf, to fight like him. And so again, whether you do anything in response, I, I just need you to know that God wants to use you in his battles for his glory. And he has given you everything you need. He has given you everything you need. He has filled you with his power. He has given you the power of the Holy Spirit so you might fight like him on his behalf for his ultimate victory. God made you to be a Timothy. God made you to be an Epaphroditus in a world of all the others. In a world of all the others. And that's what I need you to remember today. That's the first thing. Second, something I need you to consider. As the team, they're going to come up and lead us in just one closing song. Here's what I need you to consider and what, I, what I've been praying that God would reveal to you in this time of worship together. It's just a question. What, what areas of your life what areas of your faith are you on the outside looking in? In what areas of your life and your faith are you watching from the crowd when God is calling you to fight? In what areas of your life and faith are you just observing and consuming the investment of a few instead of working hard to build the faith of others? In what areas of your life and your faith do you need God to interrupt your regularly scheduled program so you can actually be the church that God saved you to be? And we all have room to grow. We all have room to grow, whether you, again, whether you've been saved for five minutes 
or you've been saved for 55 years. We all have room to grow. So what are those areas for you? I know what it is for me, but I just wonder what it might be for you. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your marriage. And God is, God is calling you to fight the good fight for your marriage. You're on the outside. You're watching someone else do all the work. God is calling you in. Maybe it's, maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe you've always looked up to those people that are really good at praying. Norm, Don, those people that are passionate about prayer, and you're like, I don't even know where to start, so I'm just going to stay over here, and I'm going to let them pray for me. Maybe God is calling you even now to fight the good fight for your prayer life. What about your generosity? What about your witness at work? Maybe it's your attitude toward people that are different than you. Maybe it's your commitment to serving the community. I, I have no idea, but you do. So what is it? As you evaluate your life, you do this internal audit, where do you see yourself standing on the sideline when God is telling you and calling you and giving you the power to step into the fight? Where is it that God is trying to refocus your mind on his battles to retrain your heart towards his ways? and recalibrate your eyes to what it really means to win. Where is it that God is calling you today? Just take a minute to consider. Take a minute to just think this over. and act, I'm going to pray for you. And I pray for you all the time. But I want to pray even now that God would lead you and that God would lay so heavy on your heart and your mind that you might choose, maybe for the very first time, very first time, to cling to Christ. To cling to Christ, to fight with love, and to work for peace wherever God has you. I want to pray for you, but we're going to sing a song in just a minute, a song that was written actually in this church in a time peak quarantine, in the peak, uh, in the season of peak observation as we were all stuck at home on the couch watching things. This was a song that was written as we were all stuck inside, and it just says, the whole idea of the song, it just says, God, interrupt me. Lord, interrupt me. Because I don't want to live this life without you. I don't want to walk away. I don't want to live a life of faith observing from the sidelines. I want to fight the good fight. I want to live a life of faith and obedience. And so I want to pray for you, and I want to, we're going to sing, and it's going to be amazing. And I'm just praying that God would speak to you so clearly today, maybe for the first time. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. God, we're so grateful that you are who you are. We're so grateful that you love us and that you fought for us, literally to the death, so we might know what it means to be alive. So Jesus, we ask even now that you would just... Make yourself so known to us, God, that we would be able to step into a greater life of faith, a greater life of obedience on your behalf. God, that we would fight the good fight alongside you for your glory and your, and your fame. So Jesus, we ask again that you would just continue to, to, to call us and to lead us and to make us even more aware of those areas, God, that we are, that we are on the side and you're calling us in. You'd make us aware, God, that we might be set apart for you. That we would be a Timothy in a world of all the others. So Jesus, interrupt us this morning. God, wake us up to your, your
your presence and your promise. And it's in your name that we pray. And we all said,